Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The library is open. It's time for Must Have Seen TV, the podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century. From I Love Lucy, the news radio, happy Pride Month from your TV guide, Brett White. And I'm also a reporter. Senior reporter producer for Decider.com. At some point, I'm actually going to change it in my script and recognize the promotion that I got a while ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is part three of uh, 2021's Pride Month extravaganza, talking about a gay episodes of television with gay luminaries from all walks of life and professions. And this week, I'm joined by someone who has a profession that... I don't know. I feel like in a parallel universe, if I could um, Loki hop around through time timelines, maybe you would have my job. Professor Taylor Miller. Yes. yes. Yeah. Do- or doctor. Doctor oh is my- uh, a hard a hard title too. <laughs> Wait, hold on. You have a doctorate. I do. I have a doctorate degree. Oh well, University of you- Wisconsin Madison. Why don't you throw that around? <laughs> or do well, you? I do. And I just- Any- anytime anyone says. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Miller. I say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm Don't call me Mr. Miller. That's my father's <laughs> name. I'm Dr. Miller. <laughs> doctor, if you're nasty. Um, <laughs> no, so like, what do you have your doctorate in? Tell the listeners about the career that I get to watch from afar via Facebook updates. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I did my undergrad in, uh, in journalism in Spanish. And then I worked, I, you know, I graduated at the height of the global recession it was the worst time ever we basically, love it yeah uh yay millennial <laughs> yeah. um and then i went to the university of texas austin for my master's degree in radio tv and film unfortunately i missed the matthew mcconaughey years by a few he's there now oh. um i've heard he's a good faculty member but doesn't smell the best that's wild <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. and then i did my phd at the university of wisconsin madison um five-year degree just for the phd but it was in media and cultural studies and i i trained as a as a historian a television historian god yeah um, and you teach and, like i mean like golden girls classes am i <laughs> like yeah so at the university of, at the university of georgia i had um uh the, that's the institution i'm just i'm just currently leaving to return to wisconsin um, but at the University of Georgia, I had a first year Odyssey class. It's a first year class for freshmen, sort of introducing freshmen to senior faculty in their first year so that they're not buffered just by grad student TAs. Oh, wow. Um, and the class was on the Golden Girls and 80s televisual politics. You really can't do better than the politics of the Golden Girls, in my opinion. Yeah, because. 
it, it hit one. I mean, during those that middle stretch of episodes of seasons, it's like every week is like homelessness, yeah. AIDS, yeah. addiction. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And um, I, what I really thought when I taught the class is that I would find all of these young proto-gay um, college kids who loved the Golden Girls and didn't quite understand why. And what actually ended up happening is it was a whole bunch of uh, white moms told their kid, you're taking that class. That's the <laughs> class you're taking. The Golden Girls, you can take a Golden Girls class. Um, but it was really one, one really fun thing that emerged from that is that I learned that Monty Markham, who plays Clayton, Blanche's gay brother, mm-hmm is a graduate from the University of Georgia. And so he zoomed into one of the class and the students and, and I interviewed him. And, oh my and God. That, that was a lot of fun. He just donated his papers to the University of Georgia. So. Oh my God. Yeah, like I, Clayton Hollingsworth is, yes. when I when I started at Decider in 2017, Joe Reed, who was, um, who had already been there and I came on that summer, he'd already launched this, uh, the 50 greatest LGBTQ plus characters of all time mm. on television. And when I started, he was like, oh my God, thank God I have someone to actually write like half these blurbs with because <laughs> he was going to do all of them. And so when I submitted my list, I mean, Clayton might be my number one or number two. Like, oh, wow. Like, and, and again, like that's a deep cut. But again, like I relate so hard to that. I'm, you know, I'm from Tennessee. I have oh. a sister who. I have family who maybe <laughs> uh, the sister of the bride episode uh, feels mm-hmm. very relevant to my life. Um, so I always really, really uh, related to his character and listeners. You can go back and listen to that episode <coughs> that I did with Frank DeCaro and Jim Colucci last pride month. We talked about the uh, great Clayton Hollingsworth. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But now like you totally have like the gig. Cause I try to almost do what you do via my <laughs> via my silly things that I write for work, um, where you're actually taking an academic, <laughs> uh, methodical approach. You're a, you're a public historian. <laughs> and a lot of my work depends on the, the work of people. I mean, here's the thing. When it comes to gay media history, uh, we are a history of silences. Yep. And, um, and it takes everyone working together at whatever level to do the research to uncover all of these wonderful characterizations that have happened you know and that that's one of the reasons why i always struggle i'm very confident when i wrote the piece that we're talking about today or that you know about soap that we were that we're drawing from today i was very confident you know this is the first lesbian character you know or i'm so obsessed with firsts this yeah. is the first but you end up always always contradicting yourself because you realize you know there was some other character that came before there was some other um local channel that really was pioneering and so i think it's important for all of us public historians um professional historians to to work on these things together and and really excavate this wonderfully queer history that is often so buried yeah and listeners if you want to know more about this specific thing please ask questions about hayden rourke i want to do a q a episode Ah. for the year anniversary of me starting this project which i do believe is june 23rd um happy anniversary (laughs) yeah it's been a wild year i'm now eleven thousand words into a uh writing sample so that feels good um i just scanned 130 something world war ii photos of hayden rourke and his partner and all their gay soldier friends yeah, it's been a wild ride. But like again, like I'm discovering things about I Dream of Genie that have not been collected in any of the like official tomes because mm-hmm. 
those books were written 20 years ago and before the internet. And so like the guy that wrote that book just didn't have access to all of the wild stuff that I'm <laughs> coming across. So doing, well, what I would doing say, the Lord's what, I, what I would say is, you know, as a professional historian, <laughs> make sure that you um, have established your paper somewhere. So that way, when you keel over one day, all of the work that you've, that you've built in this repository about about Hayden oh, actually God. go somewhere and Brett White Juniors can go and find them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I found, sure... Hayden's, I found Hayden's archives, which was a big get. Um, so oh, maybe good. I'll be going out to Wyoming at some point to see them in person. Uh, the American, uh, is that the American Heritage Center? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. wonderful. But also wonderful. Hayden, his brother lived in Wyoming. So like he went to visit his family. Like, I think that's also why they're there. But then again, <clears throat> everyone's. Mm-hmm papers are there it's a huge uh yeah. stan stan lee's papers are there i know from my friend who wrote the stan lee biography mm. uh but we're going to be talking about history because uh this week we're specifically traveling to january 18th 1979 superman mm. ruled the box office lay freak by chic top the charts and abc aired the soap episode 216 <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, you must have seen 216 before today <laughs> <laughs> gotta love those yeah, non-titles I, I went i went to go look for a title and that's exactly what it is called it's too, yeah like mary hartman was always the the name of every episode was just the date <laughs> well that's that is better than 216 or you can do the love boat thing where every episode has three titles um oh heavens and, and it is because it's all they're all three different story arcs written by three different writing teams and so they all title their own and then they yeah. title the episodes yeah. all it's ridiculous um, well if we if we can give this one a title it would be the one where the lesbian tries to throw herself off a bridge <laughs> which, uh, which in some ways would not narrow it down from a lot of tv episodes <laughs> yeah that's but fair what is your history with the soap because soap which is my history with it is this is the first episodes I've seen because it was not a Nick at Night show. So I didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. Did it, was it a TV sense. land show? I think it went to uh, TV land eventually. It's maybe? possible. The thing is, okay. So for the viewers who maybe don't understand uh, or who have not, have never seen soap. Soap <laughs> is like a soap opera, right? It is a serialized storyline, which means that the story continues. It never resolves. Um, soap was, was, basically kind of in my opinion a ri- no no offense susan harris but mostly a ripoff of mary hartman mary hartman which mm. was a show by norman lear he wanted it to be a daily soap a daily primetime soap opera um and the networks all said no 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 how about you do the same sort of thing with you know installments but only once a week and he said hard pass <laughs> so he took that directly <laughs> to syndication and the network's um, they tasked one of Norman, uh, one of the writers in Norman Lear Stable, uh, Susan Harris, to help create this show, um, Soap. And so every single episode is just one continuous storyline. Uh, one of the Mary Hartman, I think the director of Mary Hartman said that um, the serialized storyline is like having sex forever, but never being able to come. <laughs> <laughs> Like, because it never comes to any kind of resolution. There's no, there's, so that that's what makes talking about one particular episode of Soap kind of tricky. Like the yeah. first 20 minutes of this episode probably would not be interesting to most of your viewers because it's just continued storyline for the two main, um, the two main families in the show. But when we get to 
I think 13 or 14 minutes into the episode, we meet Alice. Yeah. Well, it's and like soap was for also for for viewers that or for listeners that don't uh, know soap's place in like the sitcom pantheon is like Billy Crystal as Jody was. He wasn't the first. He was like, right? See, here's the problem. He was the like... first on a show that lasted, <laughs> like on a show that lasted where he was actually a main character in, in almost every episode, um, because there was the Vincent Chevelli in the corner bar, but that show only lasted a half season, and he was recurring, yeah. I think. And then Kyle um, Baltimore had had characters too, yeah, like a couple. Neither of them. Oh, yeah, and so seventy three. I think Billy Crystal being on this show brought. A unique point of view on the homosexual. I, I think it's fair to say he's the best known first. Yes. Um, network gay recurring <laughs> so, <laughs> so many sitcom qualifiers. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, okay, if if we couch this in how controversial any of these characters were, Jody's was the most controversial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also, what is fascinating is I do believe, like, um. A bunch of like gay rights at groups work, tried to work with soap, like tried to work with ABC, just like on the scripts and like where they wanted to make sure they were being represented well. Uh, because like in the first episode, Jody wants to have a sex change or gender yeah. reassignment surgery, yeah. which is conflated with being a homosexual, which is the kind of like very dated seventies idea of <laughs> it. Uh, baby steps is what that is. <laughs> yeah. So um, let me just type. Uh, okay, so when the show starts, Jody's character is is in, basically soap is about two families, one very rich and one working class. And Jody comes from the working class family. Jody Billy Crystal, Jody Dallas is his character's name, which is uh, a great a drag queen name, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah a gay man. Um, and Jody is dating Olympic pole vaulter Bob Seagret. The char- his character's name is Dennis. Um, and so throughout the, the beginning of the show, you know, this show was way controversial before it hit the airwaves. And that meant the writer scrambled and kind of neutralized Jody even before the show premiered yeah. a little. Um, uh, but often what Jody would say is that, you know, I'm going to have a sex change operation, not because he identified with trans, um, with the trans identity or with, with the transgender community, but because somehow in his head and in the the diegesis of the show having a sex change operation would make it acceptable for him to be with dennis you know ultimately dennis leaves him and as the show goes on they do some really bizarre things to jody's character including putting him in relationships with women (laughs) so most often what i found when i was writing about soap or when i was first watching soap was you know if you look at all these queer history books everyone's interested in Jody in those first few episodes. Yeah. And the show, you know, lasted for several seasons. So at th- throughout the course of the show, Jody gets less and less and less gay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And there's, um, there's incidences of that kind of in uh, these like two ish, this one plot line. It's not really yeah. an episode that we're talking yeah. about today. So, so he ends up with, uh, he ends up, you know, having a one night stand with a woman and they have a child. And he's never, he never is bi. He's never bisexual. It's, you know, it's in some ways, it's kind of, it's, re- it's kind of a really fascinating portrait of queer life. Um, yeah. And queer and gay meaning something more than just these rigid positions that we typically assign them in, 
in American broadcast history. And that's what I find really interesting about Alice. So Jody meets Alice on the Triborough Bridge. She's about to kill herself. She's writing her suicide note and she's distracted because he's, you know, doing the soap opera thing where you're monologuing all your problems. <laughs> she's like, how can I focus on this suicide note when she's trying to throw yourself over the Triborough Bridge? <laughs> and, um, and what's really captivating about that moment is the two are having this conversation on the bridge about their problems. And he essentially says to her, it gets better. Yeah. And so yeah. when I was watching this series, it was at the exact same time that the Dan Savage, it gets better campaign was, you know, at its height, trying to prevent, you know, gay teen suicide. And so I was just wondering, wow, we've really been telling queer people it gets better for at least 35 years. That's kind of insane to think about. And um, so I just ended up calling up the actor who portrayed Alice and her name's Randy Heller. Uh, most people probably know her as Don Mrs. Draper's Blankenship. Elderly secretary. Oh, Mrs. Blankenship. Yeah, iconic. Love. She also it. played um, Lucille LaRusso in The Karate Kid. She mm -hmm. was the Karate Kid's mom. Wonderful, wonderful actor and um, a real delight to speak with. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of get a sense of, you know, if she understood at the time the weight of this character because there were lots of one-off gay male characters in the 70s before oh this. yeah and i've you know we've talked about a bunch on this show bob newhart had one that was in a couple of episodes mm -hmm. uh mary tyler moore phyllis's brother who played by actual gay man robert moore um, mm. on the family had recurring drag queen character i do believe but that also judging books by covers which yep. we talked about yep. last week Etc. Yeah, like it was the problem of the week, the gay problem of the week. Yeah, but but women, lesbians, really didn't get that kind of representation. There were a lot of killer queer lipstick lesbian um, type stereotypes. Yeah, never really coming out um, this way. And so Alice is a Jewish lesbian woman who dates a woman throughout the course of the show. And she lives with Jody after, you know, her failed suicide attempt, she goes to live with Jody and, and they eventually start raising his baby together. And what's, what I thought was kind of fascinating about that is it's like this sort of queer camaraderie. Like they're a couple, even as it's never um, implied to the audience that they are a physical couple. They're, they're two queer people. And in fact, that is why Jody loses custody of his baby because his, um, the baby's grandmother, uh, not his mother, but the other, um, the other woman, she says, you know, two homos raising a baby is just one homo too many. <laughs> <laughs> and so she says that she threatens him. She says, if you don't get rid of um, Alice, uh, I'm going to take possession of the baby. And there's not a judge in the world who would give custody to a gay man. And that's when Alice runs off and we never hear from her again. But that's after nine episodes. Yeah, yeah, it's substantial. Uh, so let's let's dive into unpacking all of this uh, soapy goodness. Oh, wow. The, the title of the show lends itself to adjectives. Um, this week on Must Have Seen TV, we'll be talking about the soap episode 216 and also a bit of 217. They're the 16th and 17th episodes of season two. <laughs> They're written by Susan Harris and Stu Silver and directed by Jay Sandrich. Uh, here's how iTunes describes the episode, which I think gives an indication of the show's structure. The police capture Dutch. Jody makes friends with Alice. Mary leaves Bert. Eunice returns home. And Corinne goes into labor. So, I w how accurate <laughs> would you say 
that is in describing the episodes. I think it's pretty accurate. It. I have to say, uh, this is probably the easiest... Sh- well, no. See, I always want to know how people write these... The summaries, because... In a way, you would think soap might be the easiest because they're giving you very clear, like, yeah. here are five plot lines, you just sum mm-hmm. up. But I also do think that a lot of the uh, summaries are written by an intern watching literally the first 30 seconds and then like, <laughs> what do they think? And then it goes. And if you did that with soap, it wouldn't work. Yeah, it's um, it's it's <laughs> it's a lot to follow. But uh, at the beginning and end of every episode, there's always a here's what you missed on soap. Rod or- Roddy! Yeah. Oh, yeah, Rod yeah, Roddy. yeah. Like I mean, I saw that name on IMDb. It was just like, oh my, my sick day best friend from watching Price is Right as a kid. Ugh. The the tagline was something like, "Confused? You won't be after watching this episode of Soap." And then, of course, by the end of the episode, you're still confused. Just yeah. about Slightly different things. I like so the the Rod Roddy's introduction to episode two when he's summarizing what happens to Jody and Alice in episode one. He says they're both depressed and gay. And gay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was just like, man, I love that's accurate. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Still, still it takes true. me back to that, like, that early instructional film where it's like, you know, are you having trouble spotting a homosexual? You may <laughs> you may run into this mentally ill person at bloody, bloody, bloody. Like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so, like, we don't have to talk about the entire episode in plot order because, obviously all inconsequential to what we actually want to talk yes, about. Yeah. But I do want to point out, like, the cast of this show, if you're someone that's watched a shit ton of sitcoms but have never actually watched Soap, like, the first scene where all of them are getting drunk at the bar, I was like, oh, Empty Nest. Oh, and Blossom. Oh, wait, who's the boss? <laughs> Sports Night. Like, just kept kept going on. Good for yeah, good for um, Blossom's dad, Ted Waz. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's always a good who's who of this would have been such a fun show to guest star on, but it's, yeah. it's a great who's who of, of, you know, people who come around in, in the eighties. It's, you know, we're playing in two stables. We're playing in Norman Lear stable um, <clears throat> because, uh, you know, Susan Harris is coming from that. And so we have mm-hmm. a lot of the actors coming off those shows. And then we're going into basically Susan's Harris's um, uh, uh, kingdom, right? With the golden girls coming yeah. after soap. And so you see a lot of these characters or a lot of these actors show up on the Golden Girls too. Richard Mulligan plays, you know, the the lead in the Golden Girls spinoff, Empty Nest. Empty Nest, yeah. Well, and, he, and he's also in a couple episodes of that. Also, Nurses. The fact that there was this oh, yeah. Golden Girls. <laughs> I've actually like, never seen Nurses, believe I, it or not. I don't think I have, but... Spinoff of a spinoff. Yeah, and when they all aired on Saturday night, like the, the two-parter Golden Girls Hurricane episode. Um, I'm ready. Please take me Hurricane 92 or whatever. Um, that was like a whole night event amongst Empty Nest nurses and Golden Girls. Uh, so oh, just justice oh, for nurses. Wonderful. Well, and also Sophia. <clears throat> Sophia went to Empty Nest after Golden Palace ended. Yes. And she also she was. She was also on Blossom too, or or Who's the Boss, or one of those other shows. Yeah, God, she I showed love... up in a lot. She showed up in a lot. Of, it's the uh, Golden Girl cinematic universe, right? She's the Loki character who jumps from yeah. show. To show. <laughs> well, yeah, you would want that. That that makes sense for her. Good for her. <laughs> uh, so I I like that. There's something interesting about the very first scene of the episode is all the guys at the bar and Jody is there amongst them. I can't really remember like why they're all drinking or what they're commiserating over because again, I'm dr- yeah. jumping in midway. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. 
But I do well, like lot... that he's one of the guys. Also, I guess yeah. because he isn't super gay. Or... Yeah, so he, so the person he's sitting next to is his stepfather, um, Burt Campbell, who's played by Richard Mulligan. Mm-hmm. And and so a, a lot of what Soap has to do, and this is probably why you didn't remember it from Nick at Night or maybe even TV Land. It is, you know, when you watch the shows on, you want to be able to watch whatever episode you can, whichever night you're watching, yeah. just randomly drop in on an episode. You obviously can't do that very well with soap, even though it sort of tells you what was happening and there's still some gags that you can get by just watching one episode. It's very hard to just fall into it. So it's not good for syndication generally. Um, But a lot of what happens in the early parts of episode is just heavy exposition, catching people up. And so in that in that scene, they're all at the table and they're all talking about their various woes. <laughs> so um, Jody's specifically talking about losing Carol, the the mother of his child, Wendy, and Dennis from an earlier season who was his gay lover. Uh, and then there's, you know, the character with the puppet. I can't ever remember who that was. I did really like I mean, it takes a lot to make a ventriloquist uh, dummy like joke and set piece. Not yeah, seem yeah. hacky, but like. I liked it. Well, Uh, that actor had to do that the whole show. So he got a lot of practice. (laughs) But yeah, I was thinking the eyes are moving and it was pretty well done. (laughs) There's a really good. So this also speaks to the evolution of comedy writing amongst gay topics, because there's a moment where they're talking about like trying to gross each other out. And Billy or Jody's just like, I don't get grossed out. I don't get sick to my stomach. He says, and then he says, I don't even gag, which is (laughs) such a missed opportunity for a a gay joke. Like gag reflex is one of like nowadays that is just like a stock, you know, Oh, he doesn't have a gag reflex because he can perform fellatio. But like in 1978, 79, they're not doing that or um, don't know that that's potential. That's potentially like an inside joke amongst gay culture. I think, Honestly, I think what it is, is they are trying to make jokes around censors. Yeah. And so here's the thing you have to know about soap is, um, you know, soap is coming from that Norman Lear stable. So they're, they're clearly very, they're clearly very aware of what it is they're doing. They're, they're, they're making a message, but soap wasn't able to be as controversial as a Lear show. It just couldn't be. Um, before it even premiered, it had 56,000 protest letters. And by the time we get to the second season, they have neutered Jody as much as possible, which I think is part of the reason why they introduced this lesbian character to sort of get a chance to go back to talking about gay topics, which they kind of weren't allowed to do because they had pissed off both gay advocacy group, gay advocacy groups and conservative groups. Yeah. Um, and so I, I imagine that little things like that, that may seem like missed opportunities were just the closest they could get they without come. a censor, like being like, wait a minute. What yeah. is the- Every time that I write about, um, one of these old gay episodes of television, I always look and see where <coughs> was the person playing the gay character gay themselves. Was it written by a gay person or directed right, by a right. gay person? And mm. in some cases, like the Mary Tyler Moore one is co-written by Dick Clare, who, Listeners, go back and listen to my uh, biography episode of Dick Clare, where you'll learn all about cryogenics. Oh, <laughs> heavens. Because Dick Clare is the reason why you can get cryogenically frozen in California. And if you buy Mama's Family today, you are giving fractions of cents to cryogenics uh, technology. 
Really? Okay. Yeah. Because he created Mama's Family and like oh, uh, he, he willed family. he willed like a portion of his um, residuals to the like main cryogenics uh, freezer <laughs> company. So How funny. Yeah, it's really wild. Um, but like so that episode, there's a real feeling of truth to it because you have Robert Moore playing Phyllis's yeah. gay brother. Yeah, yeah. And you have it written by Dick Clare. Whereas if you go to like the Barney Miller episodes, <clears throat> it's like that's as straight as straight can be. It's like yeah. it's not as eh. um and I was really hoping that Stu Silver was a member of uh member of the Pride or whatever, but no. Yeah. <laughs> He's not. I, what I will say about so Okay, so remember when I talked about Mary Hartman a second ago? Yeah. And Mary Hartman, basically, when I when I I, wor- I was working with Norman Lear on a history of this, and he told me that basically his adage was make it as taboo as possible because the the reigning televisual form um, in the in the seventies and obviously in the eighties was the daytime tabloid talk show, right? And those don't have those are syndicated shows; they do not have network budgets. Donahue famously talks about how they had to come up with a strategy in order to be able to compete with a show uh, with Monty Hall giving away $5,000 to a woman dressed like a chicken salad sandwich. (laughs) And the way to do that was to um, stray into the taboo, to talk about things that they knew network shows would not talk about. And so for Mary Hartman, that became all about issues of sexuality. Mm. Not only Mary's sexuality and her frustration with her husband's impotence, but then later, Mary gets a gay couple as her her neighbors. And what we get is actually on Mary Hartman, we get something like 55 episodes of this sort of slow, queer building of this story. It's much better done than Soap. Um, but what I think is interesting about Soap in the same way that that was interesting is that we're telling a queer story in a very different way than other sitcoms were. Because when you watch Judging Books by Covers, Uh, you know, all in the family, it's really, you know, the gay character is mostly there just as um, a complication for Archie Bunker. Oh, yeah. We don't really care about that character. We care about Archie Bunker's reaction to that character. Whereas I think with Alice in some ways, but especially with the characters in Mary Hartman, because we know we're going to have multiple episodes over which we can tell this story, we can we can do it in a in in a queer time. We can do it in a much slower sort of coming to terms and coming to realization um, sort of a time frame that I think makes a much more fascinating queer character than just you know a very special episode of yeah. character. That's why it's so rare i mean that's why i like howard hessman on bob new york show so much is because he was on the show like three or four times before then okay. they outed him as gay in uh, multiple seasons like he's in two season two season three and in season four they out him and he has like a whole episode built around him and then he comes back one more time in season five for another episode built around okay. him about him being a playwright and it's like they didn't just throw yeah, him in a closet like they, <laughs> so like oh my god i mean they don't mention him being gay in that episode but he is a playwright and the problem sure. is that he's written a play that is very similar to the therapy group um uh, okay so it's it's really yeah like that's really interesting and when you think about like the cheers with the boys in the bar is an episode that i really love but again carla norm and cliff get off easy by they're bigoted the entire episode they don't really learn anything and at the end of it is like 
they're still bigoted. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Diane got really good digs in. Sam had an evolution. Uh, but then the rest of them, are our faves are problematic. Uh, but I really, like, so in this episode, when Jody is on the Triborough Bridge with Alice and, like, sees her for the first time, it is really, it's really well done. And it's very dramatic. And, like, the, they pack in a lot of punch in just, I mean, the scene is what? 90 seconds two minutes yeah it's very short it's um it just definitely like it'll hit you though i mean if you let it sneak in it'll really get you because she talks about she talks about disappointing her father and how much she really loved her father and she you know she says she what is it she says she loses her um partner and her job and her life and she goes with choices like that you either commit suicide or you kill yourself yeah and um, yeah, it, it, I mean, if, it, it can be played for humor, but it's also something you can watch and as a queer person, especially feel like you've been there and holy shit, this, this is not because, you know, at, in 1979, the gay liberation front is really championing everyone coming out because the best yes. way of uh, advancing gay liberation is for more and more visibility. That and so Harvey a lot Milk's of people, whole, Harvey yeah. Milk's whole thing, um, he's, Wait, he was assassinated in late 78? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, so I'm not no trying to quiz. see if, like, <laughs> Harvey Milk but, assassination. 78, oh. yeah. So he died in this TV season. But what I'll say is, you know, I, you know, I come from a very, very small town in northwest Kansas. And, you know, watching this episode at a time when coming out was something that should have, you know, that on other TV shows was heralded as sort of this brave act. What you get to see with Alice's character is actually no. I mean, mm-hmm. it can and does launch people into really horrible situations, not of their choosing. Yes. And it isn't always just this liberatory neoliberal, um, you know, self-actualization moment. But sometimes it's really something that can send you into extreme alienation. Yeah. And I loved that about Alice. I think Alice is a far more interesting character than Jody. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> personally, I, even just watching these total of like maybe four minutes of content across two episodes, or maybe five minutes, like she is funny. She's just a great performer. Yes. Um, it is very hard for guest stars to come on shows and like really hold their own with the regulars. Like yeah. for, first of all, for the writers to give them jokes to begin with. And yes. Second of all, for them to actually do it. And she comes on in that bridge scene and it's a scene where she's about to kill herself. And she still has so many great delivery timing chemistry. She's just really good. Can I tell you just a quick anecdote from Randy? Oh, please. I thought it was the best. I, you know, I try, I was very young when I did my interview. You can listen to the whole thing on YouTube. Um, uh, but I was very young when I did it. So I was like, can you just take her back yourself uh, to 1979? She goes, <laughs> I don't remember. Here are a couple of things that I remember. And the one that she shared that I thought was the most interesting is this is really like her third actual gig. She moves from New York to LA. She's like not really done anything. This is obviously the biggest thing. So she invested all of her savings into getting a perm. Because a perm was, you know, really big in the day. It made you look sort of edgy and, um, and you know, it was just, it was like the hot hairstyle at the time. And they cast her with the perm, as she thinks, because she thought that they just thought that she had curly hair. 
And she said at, at a certain point in the scripting or in rehearsals, it became very clear that my curly hair was a problem um, because they were very nervous about Alice looking too edgy or too cool or, you know, there's a great line on that bridge where he says, you don't look like a lesbian. And she goes, oh, we, I loan my black leather outfit to one of the Hells Angels. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so she said like one of her first actual paid gigs was sitting in a chair as the producers of the show hired someone to straighten her hair when she had invested all of her savings on this perm and like the first gig she lands it's like they spend a day straightening her hair and she said that is just such a fitting you know portrait of what hollywood actually is but they were so nervous because they knew the weight of the character and you know what it was they were going to do. They were really earnestly trying to make her into a sympathetic character. And sometimes, you know, maybe they fail. Sometimes they, they actually succeed beautifully, in my opinion. But that was something that really stuck with her. And it has, you know, for 40 years. That she <laughs> goes to her first job, she spends all her money on this hairstyle, and then they spend the next day trying to get it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's also something about the queer experience to that, like having to conform yes, to, <laughs> yes. to what the yeah. network censors want. Uh, in the second half of the storyline that we see in these two episodes, like the first part is the uh, averted suicide. Thank God. You know, they, they find kindred yes. spirits. They're both going through it. You know, we love a, mm -hmm. a gay, gay alliance. Um, then the second uh, in, in 217 we see that she's already moved in and has been there for a couple weeks. I think it's, yeah, like, it's quite um, a jump. It's yeah. quite a jump for a show that like is supposed to be very incremental with its storyline. I rewatched it yesterday and I thought, Oh, did I miss an episode? Have I scanned the wrong episode? Uh, but no, no. Yeah. They, they just jump right into them being sort of queer roommates. Yeah. It's very, I mean, lavender marriages were uh, very much a thing in your yes. 1940s and fifties, et cetera where the gay men would marry the lesbians so they would uh, avoid, you know, persecution, firing, yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You know, lovely stuff. Um, Although these two are out. Yeah, and they aren't, they also, so the vibe of the whole scene, because he comes home and it's like, she's rearranged the furniture, she shampooed my carpet, she's made painted dinner. Painted the bathroom. Like, yeah, like painted, like, he's like, oh, it's very domestic. And he's, and she's treating him like, you know, the Jewish mother, which is what she like, yeah. you know, says she's acting like, um, <laughs> she loves the bathroom because it's gorgeous silver and it's like going to a disco <laughs> which yes um but like there is a very like oh it is it is homebodies it is domestic yeah. it is yeah it it really does it's almost like we see the almost immediate uh softening of her character just from mm -hmm. those episode to this episode in a way mm -hmm. Yeah, they have to really set up because, you know, she's not a main character. She's she's obviously just a side character. And so they're really conditioning us to the next major Jody storyline for the season, which is he's going to have this baby. This baby is going to be given to him. He's going to have to be in a situation then where the home feels. I mean, because, you know, there's also trying to balance like Utah and Alabama's viewers with yeah. New York City and San Francisco's viewers. And um, so they're really conditioning the home and, and making jo Jody into this sort of domestic character in order for us to, you know, because the other kind of representation is just the 
the night nightclub gay who lives uh you know by the seat of his pants and spends all his time starting can that be a character (laughs) on soap no 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 no. (laughs) um but it it allows us to think differently about what it means to be a, a gay person and often truly what it means to be a gay person is just like a a homebody who nests and buys a lot of uh, items for our collections especially over the last year (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i mean i can see your collection behind you and behind me i have this golden girl skateboard and there's a golden girls bobblehead and there's a calendar and i got my golden girls blanches up on the wall so in in some ways hands reach i have a heart-to-heart tv guide (laughs) and a bewitch tv guide so, oh my so my in life? some ways it's really an honest portrayal of gay life. yeah <laughs> what so like what this makes me start thinking about is like growing up i knew billy crystal as just like billy crystal you know robin williams yeah, martin Shane, billy crystal same. he's just like he's fucking billy crystal um but like knowing how in 1997 Ellen and Laura Dern like got hard canceled. Like could not yeah. look. Laura Dern could not work because she played a, a lesbian. She a straight woman <laughs> played a lesbian on television. Right. And so it it really is wild to me that Billy Crystal played a homo uh, a homosexual queer questioning. Yeah. Uh, such an iconoclastic like a uh, firebrand of a character that people protested and he still became billy i mean i guess there's also some sexism because he was still like a white man so of course he got second third fourth fifth chance but it is i I don't know i don't know anything about billy crystal's like 1980s career but i really am kind of fascinated at how he pivoted post soap into like doing whatever he wanted (laughs) i think you know i think billy so the people who are watching soap who are making it successful were the people who are hate watching it first Mm sort of like, you know, the watchdog groups. But, you know, the the uh, younger millennials were watching this show and they grew with Billy Crystal. So I think Billy Crystal is successful because of this major watershed character, because he was so impressionable, you know, because he was such a big deal. I mean, everyone was talking about him in yeah. a way that they weren't earlier gay character. So um, I also imagine that it being kind of... Um syndication allergic like it's a verse you can't syndicate it means like it didn't stick around with him because soap wasn't in reruns while his like big eight like city slickers came out soap was not being rerun well it probably would it probably would have been but you know in in very um in very subjugated time slots yeah Uh, so it it was definitely more successful in syndication than something like mary hartman but um, but certainly much a much trickier sell for something like TV Land or Nick at Night. Yeah, it is also weird that Benson spun off of this. Which again, I've never I've never seen Benson, <laughs> yes. but like I what from what I know about Benson is like it's not this. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. So Benson was their butler, uh, the rich family's butler, Richard uh, Guillaume. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, just. I mean, just this wonderful sort of, there's just this wonderful experimentation with, with genre in the sitcom form that's happening in the seventies and into the eighties. That's really allowing us to think about comedy very differently. You know, obviously the sitcom form had been pretty rigid for several decades before this. And now 
we're really experimenting with, you know, no audiences or laugh tracks only, or we're exper experimenting with genre or different kinds of characters or different leads. Um, so my, the seventies are my favorite era of television, just because there's so yeah. much experimentation and identity play. And um, I think this, this, this character and this show uh, is probably best known for that, even though it was certainly not the first, yeah. you know, there was a, there was a trans leading character. This, so this is part of the reason I do this job <laughs> there, you know, there are so many fascinating things that are lost to history. There was yes. a transgender leading character in 1978 on a major television show and that was a tv show very short-lived still had 65 episodes but it was called all that glitters and it was a show in which and it's another thing that i worked with norman on but it was this um it was the show that you know essentially the two genders were flipped so women were the sexual harassers they were the ones who ran the corporations and then men were the sexy secretaries who were sleeping their way at the top. Obviously very binary in, in terms of gender performance, but the idea was to make gender weird. Yeah. And so the, um, oh, the Munsters, what's the character's name who's normal, quote unquote oh, normal? Oh, uh, Marilyn. Yes. So the Marilyn in this story world is a trans woman played by Linda Gray, you know, pre-Dallas. Um, and... Her character is a trans woman who acts in in a familiar way to the audience. So she does yoga. She you know like take care takes care of herself. She like puts on beauty products, and all of those things are very suspect to the women in this topsy turvy world because they are male performing, right? So yeah. she, like she seems kind of like a guy, but she's a woman. But of course, when we're watching it, she just seems like a quote unquote regular woman. So. These these little beautiful <laughs> queer histories. I, that is why I do this job. It's so fascinating to get to watch them and and um. So I so I went to Beverly Hills and I was in Norman's papers and I was reading letters from viewers who had watched the show and most of them were written by women who were working, and they wrote it on their company letterhead and they were protesting that the show was being canceled because they felt seen in oh. some way because it was. You know, you saw women sexually harassing men and that feels weird to watch because, you know, you don't see that in real life. And so yeah. when you see it, you start thinking differently about your own lived reality. Anyway, so I think that a lot of what, you know, comedy is doing and a lot of what these shows are doing with, you know, experimenting with identity, I think is just fascinating. And, and the 70s are a really fascinating time. Well, that's something opinion. I... Like in looking at all the the gay of the week episodes of the seventies, they are. I do think that it is, and I talk about this like, maybe too much on the podcast. I don't know um, <laughs> about how like if you look at the progression of how gay people or queer people are presented <clears throat> in sitcoms throughout the decades, you can very easily like track what the public thought of them because yeah. there is no aggressive homophobia in the Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart show ones. Like the, like the gay characters have dignity. They get jokes. They have laugh mm -hmm. lines. Um, they, the fact that they're gay is a problem, but the fact that other characters find it a problem is the problem that has to be dealt yeah. with. I mean, yeah. Bob Newhart says 
Bob Hartley says things to Howard Hessman, uh, Mr. Plager's character, that it's just like, I wish my parents had said that stuff to me. Like, it's, and this is 1976 or whatever. Um, mm. But then when you get to the 80s, you feel the AIDS. Like, you feel the the plague aspect, yeah. the, the yeah. shame and the, which is emblematic of uh, Cheers, the Boys in the Bar, which is like, literally, we do not want these this play, these plague characters coming in and making our bar a gay bar. Um, and so that's why I think that the 70s are this really interesting look at how the world could have been if uh, people took AIDS seriously and didn't just say that it was killing all yeah. the right people. Go back and listen to my episode with Chris Vile about that. Designing women. Designing women episode. So that's why I think like shows like Soap and and all that glitters <laughs> um, yeah. are very yeah they're very interesting peaks at like how things could have been but i also think that's why alice is very interesting is because she's not the model minority kind of gay that comes that's that's mm-hmm. out there i mean like in judging books by covers is you know hesitate to call it anything the first but is that the first sitcom episode to actually like have like a gay plot the, line the well no, but it is probably the most widely acknowledged as the first. What is the well? What is the first? <laughs> that is what I say. I here's the thing: it does it. Is it only when a character says, "quote unquote," I am gay or I am a homosexual? Yeah. Because you know, obviously, we've had these gay characters. Oh, Uncle from Arthur time is, immemorial. Yeah, Uncle Arthur is a, a gay character. As I mean, I firmly yeah yeah for sure uh no but i think like all in the family judging books but covers is the first one where like homosexuality is the central plot point and there's an actual gay character on the show who has to like but i mean he is a national television for sure yeah he's a masculine presenting john wayne charlton heston looking like former football player you know he there's this and like there's this very perfect like all the gay people on television have to like have it all together and to see alice in her first thing be like no i want to kill myself because it's actually hard is <laughs> yeah very yes. revolutionary it really is it really is I, it, <clears throat> you you are so right about the 80s it's really fascinating how stark the difference in tv politics was between 79 and 80 and that's something that i teach in my golden girls class yeah. because you know, Maude is this big celebrity. Uh, you know, B. Arthur's this big celebrity in the 70s. When they are pitching the Golden Girls, the network is like, no, 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 we cannot have B. Arthur on this series because she had a, an abortion on seven in the 70s on television. She's much too liberal. We can't yeah. have that. So for a long time, they just had a quote unquote B. Arthur type and Elaine Stritch tried to play it. It didn't work. Um Ultimately, the only way they sold it was that since it would be an ensemble cast, B. Arthur's trumpeting liberalism would be muted. But you're absolutely right when you talk about how 80s televisual politics are really a strong return to conservative principles and ideals. The family-oriented shows that these 70s shows were not. They were really (laughs) trying things very differently. And you just see... There is a cataclysmic difference even between 79 and 80 in in terms of what television is doing Um, that I think is just really because it's so rare that that those politics line up specifically with the decades. But they do here. Oh, it's very I mean, Reagan is strong. 
Stronghold on. I mean, I don't like I don't like 80s sitcoms. I think I like maybe one handful of 80s sitcoms because I don't like family sitcoms generally. Yeah. Yeah. And the 80s is just like a growing pain silver spoons TGI. Well, not even TGIF, <laughs> that's later on, but like it's just nonstop kids being cute and adults being like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, neo fifties. It's there's a I mean, yeah. I think that I like the exceptions in the eighties sitcom world. Cheers is my um, favorite. Golden girls are my like Golden, those got absolutely it. Roseanne for sure. Um Night yeah, Court, you're, bizarre. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, but there's, but I think what, you know, in terms of sitcoms in the 80s, what I find the most fascinating are the syndicated sitcoms. So did you ever see Small Wonder? Do you know anything no, about No, I mean, Small... I, I know about it. Oh my God, it's so great. They keep this little robot girl in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> if her secret is revealed, it's well, so queer. Wait, oh, the 80s had, was it a Showtime original sitcom with a gay lead character or a gay ensemble character? It was a sitcom... It was on one of those like pay cable channels. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but like again, they could do that. But again, because it was like Cinemax or HBO or something or other. There are a lot of really. I mean, I think it was a, there was a show called Midnight. Was it Midnight Caller that had a character who was a bi man, bisexual man, who had HIV or AIDS and was like intentionally spreading it to people. So there was definitely just as much really problematic. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't a, that wasn't a sitcom, was it? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> It's like Jesus Christ. We might that watch is... it today as a sitcom. Yeah, but that no, no, is some. It was like a procedural. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, but the the shows that we know well as 1980s sitcoms are that sort of return to family, you know, uh, 50s kind of cookie cutter house sort of sitcom. Whereas there were a lot of really fascinating and very strange shows that that I would call queer that we don't maybe know as well because they were not successful in syndication or because oh, they yeah. didn't do well in reruns. Yeah. Um, well, how like soap didn't fare that well. I mean, it's kind of evident like soap didn't fare that well in the eighties. Like it's, it ran from what, 78 to 80, 82. Yeah. It was, a, it was a fairly short lived show. I mean, it's a hard premise. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. But it, <laughs> it seems like that, you know, a, a show pushing all those buttons is not going to, do that well in regular oh, yeah. America. And and so what's so funny about the show, you know, so there's this great line by this author, I think it's Joshua Gamson in his book Freaks Talk Back that is all about um, you know, queer guests on tabloid talk shows. And he says that tabloid talk shows learn the lesson that that tolerance is boredom's offspring. The idea that the more and more and more you represent taboo topics, the less interesting it becomes, the more normalized it becomes, the more you have to like amplify those topics. And so as soap continues, it gets more and more bizarre. There's a UFO at some point. I'm bored. Um, I need to watch those episodes. <laughs> but strangely, they do the they run in the opposite direction with Jody's character, perhaps because of AIDS and HIV, but he eventually just gets hypnotized into this into this other character who you know spoiler alert thinks he's like a 90 year old jewish man so they completely castrate him by the end of the show (laughs) jesus he has absolutely no sexual inclinations at that point um and that is as he's trying to figure out if his if his feelings for a woman are so 
as the show is getting more and more taboo, they're actually really running away from taboo when it comes to the gay character, which the thing is fascinating. That, yeah, the thing that they started uh, being the most yeah. taboo about. That's I mean, you're going to get a lot of people watch that show to figure out what the hell's going to happen with Jody, and then wow. they just ran away from it. Oh my god! Well, mistakes you... were made. <laughs> so many. Are you ready for some uh, must-have facts that definitely don't compare to anything you've been able to tell me? <laughs> Yes. Jesus Christ. Uh... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So I, I tried to find the actual ratings for the specific episode. Okay. The Nielsen's that week did not go past the top 20 or whatever, but it was number 19 for the season. Oh, wow. Which is, okay. I mean, this is season two. The top five shows this week, and I think this is very indicative of, like, where we are at in 1979 television. Um, number five was the Super Bowl postgame. Number six was Mork and Mindy. Uh, number five wow. was the Super Bowl postgame. Number three, tied for three, was Happy Days and Three's Company. Okay. Two was Laverne and Shirley, and one was the Super Bowl. And this is why I think that, like, 1978 to 82 is a dead zone for me yeah nostalgia running crazy it is happy days just dominant happy days and its spinoffs just dominating that Ugh. yeah and huh. no thanks i don't know i so from when bob newhart ends in 78 to when cheers debuts is like taxis well, there uh, it's well, like I tell you, Norman burned out too. I mean, uh, people's interest in the radical, uh, I say radical, I mean, the sort of the radical televisual um, era really burns out by the mid to mid late 70s. Yeah. And then you have this period, I think ABC goes for what's called TNA television or Jiggle television. Ooh, oh, yeah. Um, Three's Company, right? Like, yeah, so, yeah. With yeah. all of its shows are like primarily just about exploitation of the body. Whereas... Um, Heart to Heart was on ABC, so... <laughs> Robert Wagner was like, shirtless a lot. The other philosophy is let's just make America great again. That philosophy. Which was actually one of Reagan's yeah. mottos. Yeah. And so that we have a lot of nostalgia television that takes us back to the 50s with Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley... Um, Greece on t on at the movies etc yeah very 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 weird time the abc thursday night lineup that this episode aired as part of was mork and mindy followed by angie 
then Barney Miller and Soap, which I think are huh. complimentary, uh, and then the drama Family closed out the night, which oh okay, can't think of a more generic <laughs> name for that. This is was this Thursday? Did you say? Yeah, ABC Thursday night. Wow. Okay. I didn't what's know your, that. What's your hot take on Mork and Mindy? <laughs> um, I'm not sure I have a hot take. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed Robin Williams' performance. I think it's like, it's not revolutionary television. So no. I, it's been a number of years since I've seen I it. I haven't watched it since that, Nick at Night. And that um, diegesis. And I, or it might have been TV Land, I don't know, but like I really liked it back then. I thought the fact that Jonathan Winters was a baby was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Busted out of that egg. Um, on uh, IMDb, 51 users rated this episode a 7.9. Episode 216. Interesting. Okay. What do you think? Is that too high, too low? For Soap, is this a 7.9? I mean, uh, and I think I said this at the beginning of the episode, episodes don't really matter for yeah. Soap. So, like, if you think about this episode, I mean, they all... <laughs> I think probably those raiders are people who what they're doing is they're they're binging the series just going through and they're eight, going eight, along eight, 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 eight. yeah or not weirdos you know, like me who would actually get very granular about literally and I did tv.com anyone remember that website from the early oh, 2000s yes. I used to go through and rate everything oh my <sighs> but yeah uh what would you rate the um the Alice story arc though on a scale of 1 to 10 it and and I may be biased because you know I I had this wonderful experience interviewing Randy, and um you know we put, we got this on the Huffington Post. Oh wow! And so like I have this just this love letter to this particular character who I think is and and the other thing is Alice never gets any quote unquote screen time in conversations about oh yeah gay gay history. I, uh, the first time I ever saw Alice mentioned in like a glad timeline or anything, they had just ripped off my screen grab from the episode from that. And I felt really good about it too. Like, <laughs> Oh, I made this, like I had this small sort of difference in, in, um, in queer TV history. And, and so I think that Alice is a really fascinating character. I think Randy is a brilliant performer and especially knowing that it's like her first role. Yeah. It's her first major role. And, um, and, and I, and I think that the, sh the show, it shows us a different kind of, of queer way of being. So I think that, you know, out of, if I'm giving it a 10, I'm giving it an eight or a nine. I think the characters in Mary Hartman were more, narratively interesting but i like alice a lot yeah i like i i i would like hang out with alice uh, um for sure i would watch a show about alice she should have been alice <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, so if i if i consider this an episode which you really can because like if you add up all the minutes that she's on screen it's probably about one episode no, we didn't even and, talk about the fact that a character um reveals they're pregnant and gives birth in the span of 20 minutes yeah <laughs> so like there's a lot going on in these two episodes that <laughs> yeah and and the other I thing, love. go for it not and not in either of these two episodes but later on alice has a woman that she's dating and Randy told me in the rehearsal with that actress, and she can't remember. She couldn't remember her name, and I, of course, I, I wasn't good before the interview today and looked it up. 
Um, but she said, you know, in the rehearsal, she she goes to kiss her. And the network, you know, is like, no, 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 You couldn't even have a perm. You honestly thought we were going to let you kiss her. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Um, she goes, but she's my girlfriend. Why wouldn't I kiss her? So the two characters physically never interact. Um, so there are definite limitations to Alice. But in some ways, those limitations really mirror the queered reality uh, or the, the reality of queer people. Like, I don't hold my partner's hand in public because of the potential safety ramifications of doing that in the state of Georgia. Yeah. Uh, and I've knowing... been told not to do that in front of my family. So, yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> you know, yeah. Fun okay. stuff. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I really think that this character, you know, she's so lost in the history and the timeline that I, I really encourage everyone watch the show specifically just to get through these episodes. Um, because what you will be seeing when you watch them is a character that made a difference for a lot of people. And that's something that, that Randy told me too. You know, a lot of the advocacy groups, the, you know, uh, watchdog groups, they were really pissed about the, the character. But a lot of people weren't. And for a long time, it was very meaningful for her when people would come up and say, your show, your character made a difference. You were the reason that I didn't jump. And so. the weight of that and understanding how television can be so meaningful for people makes this character a 10 for me. Yeah. Um, just knowing <laughs> she saved lives just by being. Well, I mean, that I think that answers who had the must-see performance and also must other people see this episode, which I think <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> She's, it is really, it's really great. Good for Alice. I'm glad that we got to uh, talk about her. I and, am so glad. <laughs> and tell people there's more to soap than just Jody. And if you love Ida Blankenship, you can I watch can. the, you can watch the entire storyline of Ida, Bl which, you know, she's a major character in the show too, even though you can put all of the time that she's on screen into 12 minutes and you can watch it all on YouTube. Same with Randy's character in Soap. Not on screen very much, but made a huge yeah. difference. She, uh, what Randy is a uh, gay icon in multiple ways. Yeah, and I had a blanket ship, gay icon. <laughs> I mean, and come. later, she actually, she's in a Grey's Anatomy episode where she plays um, a lesbian woman who's, whose partner has cancer. And... Ugh. And you know, no one at Grace probably had any idea about Alice, but I'm. Sh but I know that somewhere in Randy's heart, like she was remembering how important this character had been for her. And by the way, she said she was hesitant to take the role because she knew at first that there might be potential implications for a young career starting. Yeah. By playing gay, and she finally just thought, "Well, fuck it. This sounds like a really interesting character, and the show is doing interesting things." And she did it. And who knows what her career would be without it, even if even if she's not well remembered for it. God. But I will say, I went to her Wikipedia page uh, before this interview, and I noticed <laughs> that it says that she played one of the first recurring lesbians on TV. And I thought. I have some small part in that because of that HuffPost piece, because absolutely it did not belong on, or it did not appear in her bio before then. Because I felt like, wow, if I stumbled onto something, why is no one talking about this? It's such a yeah. fascinating character. God. Yeah. And that is, and I know that feel that that's the fun. That is why we, uh, that is that, why we do, do it. You, 
do what you do and that's yes. uh etc <laughs> i'm not gonna get wistful um so i got i still got four thousand more words of a writing sample to get done at some point uh, <laughs> uh, I, I feel your pain <laughs> oh, writing geez. is hard it it is easy once i get going well also i've done 11 months of very meticulous and ridiculous <laughs> organization oh, okay. and stuff so it really is just connecting all the dots that are already written down so it, it's it's flown by um uh and but, you know one of the things I said to Norman Weir when I first sat down with him was, thank you for trusting me with this. And, you know, he's, he's to the end of his time, a funny person. So he goes, I don't know who the, I don't know who the hell you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, he was like, he was joking about it, but, but it was really kind of funny because the idea is he's giving me the time of day because I'm talking about this thing. No one else is talking about. And he was interested in why I was interested in all that glitter. Yeah. And you're doing the same thing. You know, the person who is the subject of your work may quote unquote, have no idea who you are, but nevertheless, you are birthing this baby into the world that is going to be so meaningful in their life and is really going to make a difference in people who, who have this passion and this knowledge or maybe have no idea that this actually happened. And, and yeah. that is, that, that is what will keep you going. Really. It is, it is really weird because I mean like Hayden Rourke died when I was three. So it is yes. really weird to be like, I'm investing so much time in this person. And it's a very like weird aspect of my job. But like when you write a nice thing about a celebrity, you like it when they give the RT or they fave the tweet. Sure. You know, you, sure. it's, it's like this like tiny little modicum of like, oh, good. They like, um, and yeah. it's like Hayden will never like he's dead. He's fully like, but when his you know his partner um, who's still alive or his nieces or his sister in law who I you know just met in person on Sunday, like when mm. they tell me like Hayden would love this or Hayden would like this thing you did or Hayden would be so happy. It just like. It feels very nice and it feels very like yeah uh, rewarding. vindicating yeah so uh, everyone write in questions about Hayden Rourke and I'm going to do a uh, episode about this uh, year journey um, hopefully the book will be out next year because I'm not going to take a long time that's what oh, he best says. of luck to you that's what he says now we'll see done is better than perfect that yeah. is the motto yeah. for writing <laughs> oh oh yeah 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 um, where can people find your work and et cetera on the internet to find out more about, uh, your life? <laughs> well, you know, your I mean, adventure, I've, your I've, journey. I, I've published academically. So if you're in a class, there's obviously, I mean, you can convince your, your professor to teach my work. Uh, and that will help me personally. Um, I, but I also wrote for the Huffington post for a couple of years. Um, I've, you know, I've done podcast episodes. Uh, if you search Taylor Cole Miller, you'll find me. If you search Taylor Miller, you'll find the soap opera star. So that's <laughs> that's the way that you that's the way that you get to me. And I'm really just my my book project right now, Queer and Repeat, is is all about the queer legacy of television syndication. <laughs> and so that's what I'm primarily writing about. That was what my dissertation was on. That's the book that I'm working on too. And so I understand. In the same way that you do, that writing a book is about birthing a baby, and sometimes the labor pains are a little harder than than you expect them to be, but what you will end up with will be amazing. 
and and it'll be the only book I ever write. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh yeah, no, it won't yeah. be. It won't Christ. be. <laughs> you well, will find you. something else that will just i already got ideas just fuel your life. that's the problem i got ideas already um uh thank you so much for being on the show uh that does it for this episode of must have seen tv thanks again to my guest taylor cole miller Not thank you so much for having me the uh soap doctor <laughs> for dr <laughs> taylor cole miller for dropping by talking about soap soap what the fuck uh soap with me i don't edit these so listeners don't, you just don't get drop whatever you want soap. Next time, I'll be discussing the biography of Hayden Rourke that I'm writing. I'm probably going to include uh, the part of the interview with Jackie Cox from Drag Race that I did not include um, in my Genie episode with Jackie earlier, specifically when I'm telling Jackie about Hayden's gay life. I might read an excerpt from what I've written so far. Like, let's Ooh. just wild out. And I'll answer questions. So please submit questions via at Must Have Seen TV on Twitter, Instagram, or email mustafseentv at gmail.com please rate and review the podcast in apple because it helps out follow me on twitter and instagram at, at brett white uh read the words that are right at decider.com thanks to acast for hosting this uh, nonsense and thanks to all of y'all for listening i'll see you next time on must have seen tv bye planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.